you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. It has become a common habit today for people to use psychological labels to describe themselves or other people when they don't really have that particular disorder. I got so depressed when my team lost that national championship game that I ate a whole gallon of ice cream. Really? Why not just say that you were sad or upset or even angry? I'm just so addicted to that TV series right now. It's all that I think about. Is it truly an addiction, or are you just passionate about it and overindulging in it? Sometimes I feel so bipolar, happy one minute and depressed the next. That's not true bipolar. Just say that you're a moody person. I can be so ADHD at times. Can't focus on the sermon because so much is on my mind. Again, probably not actual ADHD. You just get distracted like we all do. One of the more popular things people say about themselves today, often in a very prideful way, is that they are so OCD. Here are some social media examples. Living room is looking much better. I just love a clean house. Hashtag so OCD. My socks are all matched up and this makes me so happy. Hashtag so OCD. If my SUV's not clean, I freak out. Cry, laugh emoji. Hashtag so OCD. My child, insert photo here, practicing her coloring, but mad she got marker on her clothes. Hashtag so OCD. Most likely, none of these people have true obsessive compulsive disorder. If they did, they probably wouldn't be boasting about it or laughing about it. You can be obsessive about certain things and not have OCD. You can be a germaphobe and like things in order and not have OCD. You can be a perfectionist and want things a certain way and not have OCD. Yes, these are still problems that need the sanctifying power of the Word of God and the work of the Spirit. But stop calling yourself OCD. As Christians, we should always have a guard over our tongues and practice using language in ways that glorifies God, builds others up, and speaks gracious truth. Using psychological labels and diagnoses in inaccurate ways does nothing to help ourselves or others with our problems. Now, granted, I think our use of these labels and categories simply reflects that we overuse them culturally and that we have vastly departed from using scriptural categories to speak of our sins and our struggles. We Christians should take the lead on recovering biblical language so we can help one another with our true problems. We do need to consider the complicated diagnosis of obsessive-compulsive disorder, OCD, in a way that firmly tethers it to biblical principles and truthful observations. True OCD is certainly a difficult manifestation of anxiety, something Scripture talks a lot about. 
These troubling thought patterns and behaviors put an anxious heart on display and need the work of the Spirit and the Word to bring lasting change. Let's then dig down a bit deeper into the problem of OCD. So what is obsessive compulsive disorder? Well, the diagnostic label itself gives us a big clue. It is a disorder of the mind and heart that is characterized by the presence of obsessions and compulsions. Obsessions are defined by two things. First, recurrent and persistent thoughts, urges, or impulses that are experienced as intrusive and unwanted, rooted in anxiety and distress. And second, a person attempts to ignore or suppress these thoughts, urges, or impulses, or neutralize them with some other thoughts or actions which become compulsions. So that's obsessions. What about compulsions? Compulsions are also defined by two aspects. First, repetitive behaviors. For example, hand washing, ordering things, checking over and over again. Or mental acts like counting, repeating words silently that the individual feels driven to perform in response to an obsession. And then second, the behaviors or mental acts are aimed at reducing anxiety or distress or preventing some feared event or situation. And yet, realistically, these compulsions do little or nothing to solve a problem and are excessive. So to summarize, OCD is an anxiety-based disorder that manifests with obsessive thoughts and impulses that can only be suppressed or quieted by performing a mental or behavioral compulsion. But to be true OCD, at least according to the psychological establishment, the obsessions and her compulsions must be time-consuming. In other words, they must take more than one hour a day or cause such a level of stress that a person cannot function well in everyday life. This again demonstrates that just because you obsess over some things or feel compelled to check if your doors are locked does not make you OCD. Yet, you may be thinking, can OCD be on a spectrum of more mild and moderate OCD all the way to severe OCD? I think so. And the more anxious a person gets, the more disabling the obsessions and compulsions can become. The challenge is that the medical and psychological world have reached the conclusion that OCD is a brain-based problem solely. Something is significantly different about the brain chemistry of someone with OCD. If that is true, then you either have the brain dysfunction or you do not. Any other OCD-like behavior is not real OCD. Yet even those who believe OCD is a physiological problem tend to recognize that there are other environmental and learned behaviors that may contribute to the problem. As Christians, we know that since humans are body and soul, material and immaterial, we recognize that both sides must be addressed. So while I'll leave the issue of medication for OCD aside, I'm not saying that there is not a physical component to this challenging problem. Our focus, as always, will be on practical and biblical principles that can be applied to bring lasting change, even to our most challenging problems. So let's get to work. 
Here's the first principle we must address. We serve a God of order. From the very beginning of God's word, we learn that one of the holy characteristics of our sovereign God is that he establishes order. In Genesis 1, we read how he brought order out of chaos when he created all things. As the history of God's people unfolds, we see God working to create order out of sinful and human disorder. So being made in the image of God, it should be no surprise that human beings crave order in their lives. We just function so much better when there are normal schedules and plans and rules and routines. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not discounting that we also push against order in our sinfulness. Order can be so restraining and constraining, no fun to the rebel heart. And many people would testify that they enjoy disorder and spontaneity more than order. But the truth is that order is a good thing something we should all long for as God's creatures. And only God can bring any order in this disordered world. Well, with all that in mind, think about Chuck, who struggles with OCD. He craves everything in his house to be in order, from the pantry to the drawers to the closets. He has to check and recheck the doors and windows all day long to make sure they are secure. Everything must be in its place, or he cannot rest. Chuck has taken something good, imaging the God of order, and gone to the extreme. Literally, he has attempted to become God himself, since only the God of the universe can keep everything perfectly in order. Chuck trusts in himself to keep things in order rather than the God of order. Instead of just feeling shame or embarrassment for his OCD, Chuck needs to be encouraged that he is not crazy for enjoying things in order. The problem is the great fear and over-responsibility he has when things seem out of order. Trusting the God of order is most challenging because so much always seems out of order in our world. That's where Chuck needs to repent of his desire to be God rather than allowing God to be God. Well, that leads us to our next principle, trying to control what you can't control. If you've listened to season one's podcast on anxiety, you may remember that my favorite definition of anxiety is that it is the result of trying to control what you can't control. So Pam, who believes she must constantly wash her hands in order to stay healthy, is driven by the desire to control what she can't control. While it is true that practicing good hygiene will potentially lead to better physical health, it doesn't guarantee perfect health all the time, does it? Again, we have the problem of wanting to be God instead of trusting God. As Christians, we know that only God is in control of all things. No human being is, as much as we would like to be. Our urge to control people and things only develops one of the many types of anxiety in our hearts, including the problem of OCD. Whenever we become totally preoccupied with what we can't control, our minds and hearts are working overtime thinking that we can actually control it, that there is some way to guarantee a result that we want. Chuck is convinced checking and rechecking his exterior doors and windows will ensure total safety from criminals. But if he stopped and thought about it, 
How often do burglars break windows and doors, even the locked ones? Of course, it goes deeper than that. Chuck knows that locked doors do not make himself and his family perfectly safe. He just could never live with himself if he forgot to lock one door and a criminal just walked right in. Then it would be totally his fault. Do you see the problem? Chuck may not believe he is totally in control of his life, but he does think he has a lot of control and responsibility to make sure his family is perfectly cared for. At one level, this is to be applauded and encouraged. We don't want Chuck to become irresponsible, that's for sure. So where's the fine line between trying to control your world and simply being a responsible person? A person with OCD finds it nearly impossible to discover that line. Chuck and Pam believe they are just doing the responsible things at times. But at other times, they realize their behavior is not normal or healthy. Admitting our desire to control what we can't control is a foundational aspect of true heart change for OCD. Now, stopping that desire is another matter. Well, here's our third practical principle, recognizing the problem of the mind. As I said earlier, OCD is commonly considered a disorder of the brain, a medical problem that is mainly physiological in origin. Whatever part the brain plays in OCD, what we are sure of is that it is a mind problem. The thought processes are not working correctly. By their very definition, obsessions are intrusive and unwanted thoughts. They are persistent and recurrent, keeping a person from thinking about anything else. Obsessions dominate the mental landscape. So instead of thinking I have a problem with my brain, it is more helpful to see that I need my mind renewed. Over and over in Scripture, we see the problem of a darkened mind, a sinful mind, a foolish mind, a mind that demands renewal. It makes sense, then, that the person with OCD has to have his thinking changed, his mind renewed, which comes only in a relationship with Christ by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. The thought life needs to come back into order. Now, that doesn't mean that a true Christian won't struggle with OCD. Sanctification is a lifelong process for the believer as well. But what it does mean is that unbelievers will struggle more with any of the myriad of anxiety problems because they have no peace with God or true peace in this life at all. Obsessions will persist when a mind is still foolish and darkened. OCD is a true mental problem in the sense that the battle is for the mind. The person feels like he has absolutely no control of his thoughts until he does something to make them go away. Scripture, on the other hand, tells us to take captive of every thought, submitting all of them to the Lordship of Christ. Obsessive thoughts seem like they will not be taken captive at all. Yet that's exactly what a Christian must learn to practice. Submitting our minds to think on only what is pure, right, holy, and God-pleasing is the daily task of all people, yet very applicable for the anxious, obsessive thoughts.
Now let's talk through four very practical biblical steps that will help us in the struggle with obsessions and compulsions. First, a person needs to recognize obsessive thoughts and compulsive urges. Well, that sounds like a pretty obvious place to start, doesn't it? Yet, as with most problems, we tend to be somewhat blinded to our own behavior, attitudes, and thoughts. Struggles with OCD can start so early that a person can believe it's just a normal way of thinking. Or, on the other hand, some people think the intrusive thoughts are just crazy and no one else thinks the way they do. So this first step is about the truth. It's all about making a realistic evaluation of what is going on in our minds. It's about a conscious effort to tell yourself the truth. This thought is an obsession. This impulse is a compulsive urge. Modern psychologists like to call this mindfulness or mindful awareness. That's just a hip way to tell people to pay attention. A person with OCD must be watchful and see obsessions and compulsions for what they truly are. For example, Pam should say, I don't think or feel that my hands are dirty. I'm just having an obsession that my hands are dirty. Or, I don't have the need to wash my hands. I'm having a compulsive urge to perform the false duty of washing my hands. The bottom line is to call a spade a spade. Call an obsessive thought or compulsive urge what it really is. This needs to be done in order to see that the thought or urge is really just a false alarm. It has little or no basis in reality. This helps a person to know that these urges do not really mean what they say they mean. They are lies that Satan is trying to get them to believe. They are demands that are not real. Now, just to be clear, calling obsessions and compulsions by their truthful names won't make them vanish. But believing the truth starts to bring clarity that a person can work with. It also helps a person to learn to not just give in to feelings or urges, but to think with a rational, sober mind. So this first step, again, is to gain control over the response to obsessions and compulsions instead of letting them have control. Here's the second step. Redefine them as slavish lies. In many ways, OCD is a type of anxious addiction. Obsessions rule a person's thought life. Compulsions show up as the only way to get any freedom from that obsession. So the person becomes the slave, having to do his master's bidding. Like with all addictions, the irony is that a person with OCD thinks he is in control. He is the master of his fate. Instead, the obsession to check doors and windows gets Chuck out of bed several times every night. It makes him turn his car around in order to make just one more check. Pam thinks her hands are clean only to face the anxious obsession that she may have missed something. Redoing only makes things better in her mind. So in this step, a person needs to call the obsession a lie, a lie that is seeking to make him or her a slave, forcing submission and obedience. These thoughts are not from the Lord. They are from the father of lies. Psychologists want the person with OCD to just say things like, 
That's my OCD talking. A better route is to see it as a satanic lie, a sin-based lie, a fearful lie. It's easy for any intrusive thought to get stuck in our minds. Think about how a song gets obsessively played in our heads over and over and over again. If we like that song, not a problem. What about all those annoying tunes we hate? A person with OCD literally gets stuck in a rut or in a gear that must be shifted away from. So they must see them as false messages, as lies they must reject, as slavish thoughts that they must not submit to. The bait may be hard to resist, but resistance is vital. When a person recognizes and then redefines, he or she will go a long way to taking some of the power and hold of those obsessions and compulsions away. Again, to be clear, we should never underestimate that Satan is at work here trying to deceive people with obsessions and compulsions. It is yet another way that the devil seeks to control people in order to live a life of fear rather than one of rest and faith. Here's a third step. Refocus to something better. We live in a world where more and more people find it difficult to focus. We are constantly bombarded by images and words and activity that keeps our minds unfocused on what is truly important. We live in a frivolous time, that's for sure. Obsessions demand that a person focus on them. When we say that someone is obsessing, that's what we mean, right? A rigid focus on something. So to break the power of an obsession and the subsequent compulsion, the focus must be broken. Practically speaking, a refocus must occur, even if it's just for a few minutes. When the unwanted thought invades, an active hobby is particularly good at breaking the focus. Go for a walk, shoot a basketball, play a video game, exercise, listen to music, and say, I'm experiencing an obsessive thought, which is a lie. I need to find something else to do right now. This breaks some of the robotic slavery and gives the person a real choice to do something else. If a person can refocus for at least 10 to 15 minutes, then most likely the obsession will fade away and subside somewhat. Those struggling with OCD will talk about how being alone or time late at night is most difficult. That makes sense, doesn't it? To be alone in our thoughts can make it harder to break free from them. Now, this might sound to you like just mere behaviorism, replacing a bad habit with a better one. But this practical step is meant to help dislodge a person from thinking that is not fruitful and will only lead to more anxiety. Doing something that is good and enjoyable and healthy is part of the process, but not the end goal itself. Now, this includes the objective of not doing the compulsion. If the obsession of whether or not you have locked all the doors comes to mind, you do not deal with this thought by checking all the doors and windows. Instead, you do something else that will literally get your mind off this obsession. Remember that there is always something better to refocus our minds on rather than on our anxieties. Ultimately, we must refocus on God's kingdom, on the Lord Jesus Christ, on the work that he has called us to do. If you think about this third step, it's literally a repentance. 
a turning from a self-centered focus, our self-centered fears, to activities that will glorify God in all that we do. And then the fourth R, the fourth step, reform your entire thought life. Reform your entire thought life. Since OCD is such a dominating, addicting problem of the mind, it requires a total reformation of a person's thought life. A person with OCD can find great pride in the way he or she thinks, to think it is superior and even highly responsible, being this much in control. So there needs to be a change in values, a reforming of all that is good to think on. The obsessive thoughts must be labeled as foolish, as lies, as silly, as distracting, not valuable and important to my life. Again, God calls us as Christians to think on things that are much more important, to think about God and other people, to not be preoccupied with self. Unfortunately, the struggle with OCD is that it seems like the only way to live in peace. In other words, if I don't give in to the obsessions and compulsions, I'll just be miserable. If I don't have order, I cannot live. No, we must all live without order and with the feeling of being out of control since we are not in ultimate control of our lives. To reform our thought lives is to think in terms of humility, grace, of mercy, of meekness, rather than in our stubborn pride. It is to think the way Jesus thinks rather than in our own flesh. We all need an overhaul of our thinking, that's for sure. OCD calls our attention to the fact that we are consumed with thoughts that do not matter, thoughts based in fear and not in faith. Again, we are back to the renewal of the mind that only the Holy Spirit can give. So let's finish our brief handling of this complicated problem known as obsessive-compulsive disorder with three essential replacements that must take place. First, we must replace fear with faith. Always remember that obsessions and compulsions are rooted in fear and anxiety. Even though it may feel like it's just an effort to keep things in order, the person with OCD is truly driven by fear. Safety fears, health fears, relational fears, etc. Scripture is clear that our fearful obsessions reveal a faithlessness in a faithful, all-powerful God. No, I'm not saying that OCD goes away just by having more faith. Yet it is true that we are called to grow in our faith rather than give in to our fears. Trusting God in the midst of a chaotic world is extremely hard for all of us, but is the only way to peace in this life. So when obsessive thoughts come, it is yet another opportunity to grow in Christ, to hold on tightly by faith, to walk by faith and not by sight. OCD is the ultimate sight problem. We look at things around us that we don't think are right, trying to make them right ourselves. The Lord calls us to faith in him alone, not in our own ability to compulsively fix things. Second, we must replace fear with love. 
1 John 4 teaches us that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. When we are given to fear, we have not yet been made perfect in love. So think about how obsessions and compulsions are really self-focused and never really in the act of loving God or another person. They are literally focused on how to protect self, how to love self, how to care for self, how to prevent pain for self, how to keep self happy and at peace. Now, I'm not saying that people who struggle with OCD don't love other people, but I will say there may be a corresponding struggle to love people well. Most of all, it's impossible to love another person when a person is stuck in a fearful thought or compulsion. All of the action is simply towards satisfying self. So a positive move towards solving OCD is growing in love for God and for other people. Choosing to serve others rather than serving self will really help. Who among us doesn't need to grow in love for God and others? So replacing our fears with love is one of those active changes that will reap great benefits. This also means that people who struggle with OCD need to invest more in relationships than in being alone in their own thoughts and behaviors. Finally, we need to replace obsessing with prayer. Anxious people don't pray. Boy, that's harsh, isn't it? Speaking as one who struggles with anxiety, I know it to be true. Anxious people think they pray, but they just worry in God's direction. They continue to try to figure things out on their own. So prayer is the ultimate solution to OCD. No, not praying away OCD, not just asking God to take away your OCD, but actively praying instead of obsessing, replacing obsessive thoughts with submissive prayers. As Christians, prayer should be easy, right? No, it's a discipline like reading your Bible or ensuring you are in fellowship with the saints. Prayer is delightful. Prayer is necessary. But in this age of distractions, it isn't always that easy. Yet a commitment to deal with our fears and anxieties is a commitment to pray. Prayer puts God at the center rather than ourselves at the center. It focuses on the power of God rather than our own power, which is nothing. When obsessive thoughts intrude, pray and commit them to God. Rather than responding with compulsions, pray again and change the behavior. An active prayer life is the foundation for confronting our anxious thoughts when they emerge. We pray continually, partly to remind ourselves that we are not in control. Obsessive compulsive disorder is a problem of the heart, mind, and soul, and not just a problem of our biology. As extreme as this disorder can be, always remember that it is just a form of anxiety and fear that can be overcome. The challenge is its addictive nature that is hard to resist and it is frustratingly entangling. In the end, we need our hearts changed by the work of the Spirit to overcome all of our problems, including our obsessions and compulsions. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, 
please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.